Welcome aboard the Adotat Show, where marketing, media, and ad tech converge. Fasten your seatbelts as your host, Pesat Latin steers you through the digital world of advertising trends and marketing innovation. Deserve to win when it matters most. Facing multi-billion dollar bet the company litigation? No problem. That's why we're here. Troutman Amin, LLP is a true legal powerhouse. All right, we're introducing Anthony Katzer. He's the CEO, CEO of the IB Tech Lab. The IB Tech Lab was birthed in 2014. It crafts the machetes of technology and standards to clear a path for growth and trust in the online wilderness, armed with an arsenal from the OpenRTB to Project RERC, or RERC, I don't know if we say it, or just the letters. Project, Re and a band Project RERC. RERC. <laughs> and a band of publishers, ad wizards, and digital crusaders by its side. Anthony Katzer is a distinguished figure in the media technology realm, boasting over 25 years of leadership and expertise across innovative companies in the digital media sector. As a former, former senior vice president at Nextstar Media Group, he played a pivotal role in steering strategy, technology, and corporate development, significantly impacting the largest local broadcast in the U.S., with a history of leadership positions, including president of Sanobi and executive roles at Rubicon Project, MediaMath, and Maxifier, Katzer has been instrumental in shaping the future of digital advertising and is a sought-ass speaker in major industry events. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about the IB Tech Lab and mainly the IAB ALM, the Leadership Summit. Uh, first of all, Anthony, after the IAB Leadership Summit, can you share some of the most eyebrowsing raising predictions for the ad tech industry. Any chance involves time traveling cookies? Yeah, look, I mean, the I think the theme of ALM this year was certainly cookie deprecation, privacy sandbox, new forms of addressability in our ecosystem. That, that weighed heavily uh, on the agenda. Um, but there was also, you know, there was also considerable discussion around the future of CTV. The convergence of linear and connected television was also a very active topic. Um, new, you know, new forms of, again, dressability in the forms of data clean rooms and other alternative kind of ID-less signals was a big part of the conversation at ALM as well. So it was, it was a diverse series of talk topics, but of course, signal loss, I think, is what, is what dominated the industry. But I think there was, I think there's, there was fair amounts of gloom and doom as well as innovation. Um, what I noticed at this year's ALM was a clear infusion of new talent. Uh, companies I hadn't come across, uh, you know, recently or only in the past couple of years that are thinking about the future of this industry differently than perhaps, you know, some of its early proponents, myself included, have thought about it. So there was a mixture of what is the industry, how is the industry going to tackle signal loss, whether it's third-party cookie deprecation, obfuscation of the IP, um, you know, additional privacy regulations, um, but how's the industry going to innovate around that and, and solve for that? So it was a mix of trepidation and I think of cautious optimism of what the future of our ecosystem is going to look like. Is the industry ready or is this like uh, akin to a five-year-old's birthday party pinata aftermath? Do we know what we're doing? Uh, I, that's a great question. I think there's, I think there's pockets of readiness. I think if you, if you say, is the industry ready overall for signal loss? I still think there's, I still think there's a fair amount of work to be done. Um, that said, I think there's interesting pockets of innovation that are occurring either at a publisher 
I think the technology level, um, where I think some will be more prepared than others. My bigger concern is really the impact that these changes are going to have on the mid and long tail of our ecosystem. Uh, you know, not everyone has the resources of a large media company. Not everyone has the resources of large ad tech or big tech companies. So the, the question is who, who's going to be left behind? I think we are looking at potentially an ecosystem of haves and have nots, uh, depending on the resources that those companies have available to them. What's the what's the missing ingredient? Missing ingredient. Um, I think the missing ingredient is. I mean, it's all over the board. It, it's. I mean, there's there's legal compliance issues. So I think it's a combination of legal resources to make sure you're compliant with um, state and federal um, regulations, uh, particularly as it becomes more of a patchwork. Not just in the U.S. We keep talking about these state-level privacy laws, but there's privacy laws popping up across the globe. India, Brazil, Japan has a law now in the books. There's a bill being currently deliberated in Australian Parliament. Um, uh, you know, India, you know, India, the largest country on the planet in terms of population, just passed a uh, privacy regulation that they're going to flesh out throughout this year. So I think it's, it's legal resources is a challenge. And then I think there's technical and data science resources um, as the industry, I think, moves more towards I think the industry where we ultimately settle at some point is probably some form of cohort and lookalike models based off of um, very rich, high fidelity seed signal, um, you know, for the consumers that haven't opted out. Um, so I think there's also technical and data science resourcing. That's an issue uh, at operations um, as people have to visit, you know, these kind of new paradigms like privacy sandbox. Like that's going to fundamentally change kind of the ad operations model for both publishers and for agencies. Um, so it, it runs the gamut to be candid. Like there's no, there's no one area I'd be like, Oh, if they just hired a few more people there, they'd be sorted. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that simple, unfortunately. So to go back to the privacy sandbox, it's not going to be a one-to-one -one replacement for third-party cookies. How do you envision bridging the gap? The gaps that were identified, especially in areas like ad placement guarantees and budget management. It's, there are a lot of challenges in the design of the privacy sandbox. Um, Tech Lab is releasing its analysis of the privacy sandbox to the industry tomorrow. Um, and, you know, we've, we've assessed 46 total use cases, uh, everything from competitive ad separation, uh, robust support for digital video, ensuring buyers do not bid themselves up in the programmatic landscape. And many of them, frankly, are not supported. Um, so I think yeah, there's 30, real 30, 30, 30 marketing use cases were not supported by the privacy sandbox. If I remember the report. Uh, yeah, I think that was from a Digiday report. Um, they don't right. actually have, they didn't actually have access to the, the assessment itself. I don't have the final number off the top of my head, but oh, it's, okay. I think it's, I think it's 30 plus that are either, they're either temporarily supported for a period of time. They're degraded. Uh, they're just flat out not supported. Or they're in what we they're what we deem is impractical. Like it's just it's so impractical to do it this way that it creates undue undue business burden on either a publisher, an agency, ad tech, all three constituents. So that's how we classified everything. So there's varying degrees of either degraded support, impractical, not supported, temporarily supported. Um, you know, I think there's a lot more. You know, look, the privacy sandbox is a work in progress. Google has a five-year roadmap that they're pursuing. Um, so this is going to be an ongoing set of changes the industry is going to have to deal with over the next several years. But there are 
Look, our report is not going to be, I think, a surprise to many folks as they read, or maybe it will be a surprise to folks as they read it. There are a lot of challenges with some of the building blocks that the Privacy Sandbox has created for the industry and the fact that the building blocks don't quite solve some core or fundamental use advertising use cases for the ecosystem. The industry does not expect a one-to-one replacement for third-party cookies. So I'm going to make that abundantly clear. We realize there needs to be some compromise between advertising utility and consumer privacy. Um, we just find a lot of the use cases fall short of finding that balance between advertising utility and privacy. Are there any critical use cases that are currently in limbo? And how is the IAB tech lag going to address those cases? That's a good question. So the, the purpose of the assessment was to do three things. One, inform the industry. Like we, our, our remit is to inform, support, create standards for the industry. So it was inform the industry of like, these are the changes that are coming. Uh, hey, publisher, are you aware of this? Hey, agency, hey, brand, are you aware of these things? That was number one. Number two was to um, act as a call to action to those that are not aware of, of, of these changes. I mean, I can probably count on both hands and maybe one foot the number of, I think, publishers that really have a deep understanding of what the implications are. What are the business implications of this to the ecosystem? Um, so the second reason was it's this call to action. You, you know, get engaged with the Chrome team, start testing, get engaged with Tech Lab, like get informed because this is coming. I, I, I really, I don't think it's a question of when the third, I don't think it's a question of if the third party cookie goes away. I think it's a question of when, right? So there's been all this deliberation like, oh, Chrome may push the date or the CMA, the Competitive Markets Authority in the UK may push the date. Those are all those are all fine to have those discussions. But I think as an industry, we need to prepare for this is happening. It's happening this year. You, you need to get prepared as best as possible. The third reason we relaunched it was to really give product feedback to Chrome. Like this is where the industry sees shortcomings in the product. Invite Chrome in uh, to either clarify certain use cases because we really struggled with documentation. The documentation, candidly, has been all over the place. Um, you know, whether it's you're going into the GitHub repository, you're going into the sandbox development resources, looking at support tickets, things like that. It's been very hard to isolate kind of use cases. It becomes this, uh, you're, it's like navigating the matrix to some extent. So, you know, the third reason was give Chrome feedback, um, you know, have Chrome clarify some of our assessments. Like, did we assess this correctly based on the documentation that we have? And then concerns that we have, like Chrome, what are some workarounds? And then finally, like, you know, is there compromise the industry can find with Chrome to, again, find that balance between privacy and advertising utility that in some areas the privacy sandbox doesn't support? Yeah, the feedback loop I've, I've heard is, is needs to be fixed. Is there a specific place of feedback that the IB Tech Lab has provided to Google that you think could actually significantly impact the effectiveness of the privacy sandbox for the broader industry? Yeah, I think there is. I mean, look, Google's you know Google's on our board. Google's a big organization, by the way. Like you know, we work with Google on myriad myriad initiatives. Um, so yeah, I think. We've had several meetings with the Chrome team. We met with them after ALM for two hours. We met with them. We met with them at CES. They've also presented to the Tech Lab board on a couple occasions. Um, so there's engage. There's definitely engagement there. Um, they were not part of the task force. Um, they, you know, they, I think they realized, you know, you know, perhaps better for the industry to go off and assess this on their own without 
no one wants to be told their baby's ugly when their baby's in the room. <laughs> right? So there's a fair amount. No one wants to be criticized when you're in the room, right? So I think, you know, I do commend, I really do commend Chrome for letting the task force do its thing. You know, we announced it late, we announced it in late August, early September. Um, and they let us do our thing and, and we're going to publish this to the industry. We welcome their comments. And I think the tech lab's a great venue to perhaps partner more deeply with Chrome on future iterations of the sandbox. And again, to their credit and to their points, there are things that are not done. You know, fence frames isn't a finalized thing. They're still looking for industry feedback. Solving for digital video, they're still working on. So there's a lot of areas to partner with Chrome on this, as long as they're um, as long as they're uh, open to industry feedback to improve it. Before we move on, in layman's charts, do you see that the sandbox is either a magic trick, a science experiment? And why are some people hesitant to be tribute to this experiment? I think digital advertising is a 30-year experiment. Um, <laughs> uh, I think um, have, have we figured yeah, it out I, yet? I think it's I think it's I think it's software. I think it's software that's in <laughs> that's an alpha or beta stage is where it is. Um, and I think the the industry as it starts to put it through its paces will will provide feedback to to Chrome to improve it. So I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call it an experiment. In software parlance, I think it's somewhere between alpha and beta. Um, and it needs work. Right, moving on, uh, the AI, AI's role in marketing has been emphasized as augmenting rather than replacing human intelligence. Can you share an example where AI surprised you by showing a hint of creativity or wit that made you do a double take? I mean, no, you're just not. You're, you're not impressed yet. No, I, well, look. I think there's. I think it depends on how we want to. How do we want to define AI? Right? AI has been in our ecosystem since the first DSPs and SSPs walk the earth. Um, well, mach right? Machine learning, or whatever you want to. Yeah. Whatever you want to call yeah. it. That if, is a subset. If, that's a subset of AI. <laughs> a lot of it's just if then you know if this then this happens. Simple programming. Sure. Sure. I mean, yeah. so. So look, the decision trees that DSPs originally built to inform how to optimize campaigns is a form of rote machine learning. The original yield curves SSPs developed to maximize yield for publishers, form of machine learning, right? I, I don't think we, I think we're early days of AI. The reason I say I haven't yet is because I still think it's really early to, you know, what's the impact of neural networks and large language models and recursive AI? Like there's so many different flavors and variants that could influence this ecosystem. I don't think we've quite seen the impact, the the the, the positive impact yet. I think it's there. I think there's strong implications around privacy. When I mentioned earlier, you know, I think where the industry's headed at some point is some form of like strong seed signal that then powers a lot of cohort and lookalike models that are potentially ID less. I think that'll be largely AI driven for sure. Um, so I think I think that's some of the promise we just haven't seen yet. I think true true actual real creative optimization. Like so, you know, if, if, if I live next door to you, and you you and I both see a Pepsi ad, you're going to see a somewhat different creative than I will. Like that's pretty powerful. So I don't think we've quite seen the power and the robustness that AI can bring to our industry yet. I just don't think it's matured where it's where it's. There are startups out there that are certainly doing things with AI around advertising models and optimization, but I don't think it's it's not mainstream enough yet. 
Right. The summit also brought up significant concerns about child safety online. An industry focused on innovation and growth, how do we ensure the digital playground is safe as the physical one without wrapping everything in bubble wrap? That's a heck of a question. Um, yeah, we had um, we actually had Marsha Blackburn um, on stage. Um, and yeah, she's sorry. been a big yeah she's been a big proponent sponsor of the Cosine Act. Um, I think it's a combination of working both with governments worldwide um, and and follow, you know to some extent following their lead in terms of regulations that they're passing. Um, you know, in terms of you know, technical frameworks we can put in place, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when you're dealing with a device, right? You don't know who's on the other end of that device to know, is this a child or not? Like, sure, you can age gate and that afford you some legal protection, but like, you know, I have an 11 and a half year old son. He can go ahead to any website and say he's 18 all the live long day. Like, how do you really prove that out? Um, I mean, kids were, I, were sneaking porn magazines from their parents. 40 years ago, it's not going to yeah. change. Right. That's not going to change. Like, like kids are always going to find a way, you know, I, I, you know, I was sneaking beers as a teenager. Right. So, I mean, it's yeah. like, I mean, we're, we're always going to find a way around it. Um, I don't, I can't think of any kind of good technical frameworks without some form of signal to understand that this is a human of a certain age, that they're restricted to this sort of content. Um, well, I think everyone I spoke about, it says it's, it's education. I mean, when it comes to everything from privacy to protecting children online, it's education. People know, have an idea of what privacy is, the idea of what child protection is online, but they're not necessarily educated about what exactly is happening. Because, you know, every, I think uh, it was Lou Pascal says everyone just clicks, clicks uh, you know, I agree to everything. It doesn't really know what's behind it. And I think it's the same thing behind uh, uh, child protection online. People really aren't sure what their kids are doing because they're not educated. They don't, they don't, you know, they hear things about TikTok. They don't know what their kids doing on TikTok. Well, I, look, I think that's I think that's that's the other side of kind of the same coin when you try to explain the value of advertising to your average consumer. Like, um, you know, I had a conversation this morning. I had this exact conversation this morning. Someone's telling you, "Oh, my grandmother gets so annoyed by these retargeting ads." She's like, "Yeah, I just wish the ads would go away." I go, "You got to frame the question differently. Like, do." Okay, so let's say ads go away and now you're getting asked for your email address, your phone number, or you're, you're having to pay for all content online. Do you want that? Well, no. Well, okay, well, ads subsidize a lot of that content that you get quote unquote for free. Um, I think the same is, I think the same conversation needs to be, needs to happen around child safety. To your point, like, it's hard to educate, it's so hard to educate the consumers on that value exchange for digital advertising in exchange for quote unquote free content, free content or subsidized content. How do we do the same thing when it comes to child safety? That is something that this industry is, education is something, this consumer education, I should say, is something this industry has struggled with. Therefore, I think the only way to do it is working with regulators. Like, you know, they, you know, regulators represent the people. Can we work more closely with regulators and get them educated so they can, they can pass smart laws to enforce child safety? And then what does the industry do either from a legal perspective, a technical standard to ensure that those things are, are enforced? There's no, there's no easy answer. I think I've had guests say that if we don't work with regulators, they're going to force us. And that's actually where we are at now. We've been so. Some people, I think one person said we were so greedy 
that we refuse to do anything. And now we're being forced to have all these solutions and all these things thrown at us. I mean, one person said you can look at the G GDPR direct is a direct result of us refusing to be innovative in the face of all this. Um, speaking of I, that, I don't, I don't disagree. Right. I don't disagree, and I think I think things like the GDPR, while while frustrating, while the GDPR can be maddening in some areas because there's a bit of a catch twenty two in terms of how the regulations have been written. There's not a lot of case law. You know, same thing. Same thing with CCPA. They have forced the industry, and this is a good thing, to stand up and re and make privacy a priority. And I think that's a healthy thing for consumers and for the ecosystem. Now. I don't, I, I think we've skewed very, very much in one direction around consumer privacy. There has to be a balance between consumer privacy and data security. We've, by the way, we've conflated those two things. Consumer privacy and data security, we've conflated. People, I think consumers do inherently understand or subconsciously understand the value exchange of like, yes, I'm offering up some information about myself in exchange for this recipe or, you know, this, you know, this, this getting back into shape article or something like that. Um, in exchange for something about myself so I can be advertised advertised to. I think they're less concerned about privacy as long as they're data secure. The minute there's a security breach, data security issue, that's where I think privacy, re whether it's egregious or malicious, right, where their data is going out the back door intentionally and being sold without the consumer's knowledge, or there's, there's, there's unfortunately a security a security breach. We've conflated those two things, and I think those two things are, are, are very separate. We then, but we also don't need to skew so far that the web becomes, you, you lose, look, we already have a wealth inequality problem in the U.S. and, and, and actually the Western, Western civilization. What we don't want to have is a data access inequality problem where, yeah, sure, I can, I can cover paywalls all day long. No problem, but not everyone can. And they should have right. access to the same investigative journalism, the same news, the same digital services as I do. Um, so how do we, how do we, we don't want to skew so far where we impact advertising utility to such a fault that, 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 you know, we're living in an internet, we're living in a balkanized web of paywalls. Um, it's somewhat hinted at a future where deep pockets and differentiate, differentiation become survival tools. If ad tech companies were superheroes, what power do you think be most crucial for their survival, survival? into this evolving landscape. You briefly touched on this already. What's superpower? The, ha the haves um, and the have-nots you mentioned. Um, in, I think innovation is a key superpower. I think innovation, particularly in the areas of data science, um, consumer experience, never underestimate a great consumer experience. I mean, if you look at, you know, just... Yeah, I'm trying to think of, of some examples where it's like, wow, that's a really good UI. YouTube TV, great UI. I mean, YouTube TV is cable reinvented. Phenomenal user interface. It's great, right? Like, um, so I think, I think the user experience always needs to be paramount. I think innovation in the areas of data science, I think are key, particularly in a burgeoning, uh, uh, um, paradigm of signal loss in the industry. I think that's, I think that's another key superpower, but I, I think innovation, at its core, I think is a critical superpower for publishers, for tech, for agencies. Right. Um, and there was a section on DNA data storage. How do you think, how long do you think it'll be before we start seeing ads personalized on our genetic makeup? Not in our lifetime. No. 
you think you think the privacy uh, people are just going to consider it? It's too too intrusive. Or the technology is just. I don't even know it's a privacy issue. Just the technology is not there. Right? Like, I mean, the tech isn't there. So, right. um, and I, look, and I, I think there is, I think there is fair concern and consideration around, you know, who has access to my DNA. Like, right. that's a bit different than a cookie. Um, I don't think, yeah, I, the it, thing is, I don't know if the average consumer knew the difference between a cookie and DNA. Because <laughs> when you ask the average consumer why they should, these cookies should be gotten rid of, they're like, well, I didn't want all my private information shared. If you explain right. to them, a cookie probably had no private information whatsoever, and we can still share that information with strings. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, well, but that, but I mean, you make a great point. Like that's the thing. Like the cookie has it has the cookie has powered interoperability of this ecosystem for twenty five years, right? That's right. how this entire ecosystem is interoperated, largely on the premise of the cookie. There is no government regulation I'm aware of that indicts the cookie, right? Like. The, the the cookie's not the not the bad actor here. Bad actors are bad actors. Um, right. So, yeah, I don't. But I think you make a great point. This goes back to consumer education around consumers don't understand. You know, they're just like, yeah, being tracked. It's like, well, yeah, but you also realize you have the power to delete that cookie at any point in time. Like you can you can remove those tokens anytime you want. Clear your browser cache, etc. So yeah, I think the cookie's browsing, been you know. It, it, it's, yeah. it's, in my yeah. opinion, it was the most ridiculous move ever. It makes no sense. Yeah, I think I think the cookie wouldn't think that it wasn't. It wasn't. They weren't. Wasn't like Flash, which had to be removed from everyone's computer because it was actually a security risk. Cookies were actually the opposite. They were they right. were the, the least security risk ever. Agreed. Right, so, what was your favorite part of ALM, and why was it Peter Naylor and Andy Sorkin? I think it's been a lot of meetings, so I was in main, I didn't get a lot of main stage. Um, uh, my favorite part of my, so I'll, I'll break it into two components. My favorite part of ALM on stage was the me, was the great measurability debate. Um, uh, I think that's always spicy, and this was particularly spicy. I don't know if it was spicy as New York City two years ago, but this one was this one was pretty this one was pretty spicy. So you know, having having iSpot video amp Nielsen and Comscore up there on stage um, is always. Um, you know, always gets a bit fiery. Um, right. You know, because they they all bring their own forms of value to the ecosystem, and I think they all approach measurements um, uh, differently. Um, so I think that was that was highly entertaining. It was also informative. Like there were no, I think I think they were informed arguments. So it wasn't just right. it wasn't just a, a lot of bluster. I think the second, I think the other thing I loved about ALM. Uh, this year in particular, um, the the in, the industry as a whole really, you know, privacy has been privacy remains at the forefront of what of how the industry is thinking. So there's very much this privacy first kind of consideration now that frankly wasn't in the industry several years ago. Like everything's like, well, does that comply with regulations or like how is that going to be perceived from a privacy angle? So I think that's that's at the forefront. For sure, um, and I think how to solve some of these things again. What was refreshing this year? There feels to me kind of a generational changing of the guard coming to our ecosystem, where the next generation of you know, this industry has been largely innovated by Gen X, 
um, I think we're starting to see the millennials weigh in on the future of the industry. So there's a lot of interesting new startups or companies that may be three or four years old that are starting to gain momentum. And it was nice to see a lot of those, frankly, new younger faces that are the future of our ecosystem. So that was, and this was the first year I really noticed that. Like, you know, myriad companies, I mean, you know, not that I'm like a who's who, but like myriad companies I hadn't heard of or only vaguely aware of that I got a chance to meet informally or formally over the two and a half days in Florida. That was, um, it was nice to see. It's like the industry lives on, the industry will thrive on, you know, there will be another chapter. So that was nice. Can you share a lighthearted moment or unexpected laugh that reminded everyone why they love working in the industry? Lighthearted moment. <laughs> Several. Comment. <laughs> there was a comment in one meeting where we were talking about the impact of, uh, the impact of signal loss in general to, uh, to ad technology. And there was a comment. It was a bunch of us in a room. And someone said, no one gives a crap about ad tech. <laughs> Outside Which, the industry or even in the industry? Well, no, but again, it just, it was, it was a laughable moment because one would say it's true. I feel like ad tech is like, ad tech is like the supply chain, you know, ad tech is like the, the, the shipping industry, right? Like no one, no one thinks twice about cargo shipping, you know, the, the, the national rail or truckers until, I mean, and we saw this come, you know, during, during COVID and coming out of COVID, you know, during COVID when there was all this demand for goods at home went through the roof, we had these major supply chain issues. No one thinks twice about ad tech until there's supply chain issues, right? So right. it's just, it's again, just, it, it, it was humorous in the fact that many of these companies, you know, you know, our parents and relatives who aren't in the industry have never heard of, it, but they make a material impact to the industry. Like without ad tech, where would, where would publishers be? Where would agencies be without programmatic, right? So it was just funny that someone made that comment of like, well, no one, no one cares about ads. <laughs> Before we go, if you could send a text message to yourself 30 years ago, what would you tell yourself? Uh, gosh, 30 years ago? What would I tell myself? Or when you started in the industry, when I was about 25 years ago, Mason? Uh, no one's ever asked me this question. Uh, we, had, we had Shiv Gupta say, uh, tell myself to party more. That was his. No. his, his. <laughs> I think uh, I would say to myself, um, be more patient. I think about the industry or in general. <laughs> well, both. Um, Are people in the industry? That's what I need is to learn patience about people in the industry. No, I think I. I don't know. I don't know if I would change a thing. You want to tell yourself anything? I mean, I. I I mean, I don't know. Um, buy more Google stock. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I always. That's what I bring up a lot. I always bring up a lot that in 1995 is when uh, uh, Bill Gates' book came out, and I was sitting with my father, 20 years old, in his uh, house in Brooklyn. He was president at Brooklyn College at the time, and I said, "If I, I if we had bought stock, Microsoft stock 10 years ago, we'd be billionaires by now." The funny thing is, if in 1995 I bought stock, it has doubled. And split almost six times. I would be billionaires oh. if I bought them too. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, why the stock now? I don't know what I would. I don't know what I would. What I would tell myself. I mean, it's been look. I've been in the ecosystem now for 25 years. It's been an incredible run. I love it. I love what I do. I love the industry. I love. There's never. There is never ever a dull moment in this ecosystem. 
It's mentally stimulating. It's also fun. It's challenging, exhausting, and and and, enlight- and enlightening all at the same time. I don't know what I would. I don't know what I would tell myself. Do you, do you have a secret sauce or like a mantra or a pep talk you give yourself? You have so many years to keep going. Yes, every uh, every every morning for it's been almost two decades now. Um, I read the Benny Gesserit mantra. Uh, it's on my desk. <laughs> Dude. Are you serious? Oh, no, you're right actually here. serious. Oh, my goodness. I'm you dead serious. A Dune reference. I love it. Dead, dead serious. Yes, Dune reference for those that are not familiar. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, my, it's my second Dune reference this month. I, I wrote a whole article about Dune recently. Fear is the mind killer. Never give up. Never say down. Um, I'll never quit. Like, yeah, that's how you keep going. Like, it's... I, you're looking I have forward a, to the next... Part two. I have a passion for this. Yes. Are you looking, you're looking forward to that? Oh, yeah. I, I think, I, again, I, I think I think part one, I think uh, he nailed it. And I think part two is going to be outstanding. I can't wait to go see it. So. Hey, well, thank you so much. Hope to get you on a roundtable. I appreciate your time. I know oh, you're love, busy. We'd love to. I'm if glad I, we if finally I can, got this done. Me too. <laughs> if, we, if I can finally, if I can come up for air, the next month's pretty nutty. But I think March, April, I'll have a bit more free time. We'd love to participate in a roundtable. I thought the one you had with Shiv and the rest of the folks was really fun. It was informative, but also like everyone was having a good time. So I'm happy to do it when I, when I get some time. And that's all, folks. Please consider sponsoring Adotat to keep independent and really witty tech journalism alive. We can't run this on good feelings and rainbows. 